The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 49. The Forgotten Birthday. 1862. December 26th. Denver, Colorado. Paris sat in silence, waiting for the rest of the court. The judge looked impatiently down at her as the doors in the back of the room opened. Louis, Paris's lawyer, entered. His hair was a mess. His tie was off-center, and one of his socks was the wrong color. He rushed in, followed by Thalia, who was smiling, almost giggling at him. She took a seat in the gallery, and he stepped forward and sat next to Paris. Young man... Since you're sitting there, I'm going to assume you're claiming to be a lawyer, the judge stated. Yes, sir. I passed my tests last week, Lewis replied. At any point during these tests, do they ask you what time court begins? Because if they did, you probably got it wrong. It begins at eight o'clock. It always starts at eight in the morning, not 8.15, not 8.05, not even 8.01, but 8.00. I'm sorry, sir. I have just taken this case, and I have not yet had time to review it. Your lack of preparation is not my concern. Your punctuality, however, is. If you are late again, you will be spending the night in a cell for contempt. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. This is an arraignment, not a trial. Afterwards, you will have time to get to know your client. Now we can begin. Yes, sir, Lewis said without thinking. I'm glad I have your permission. The judge hit the gavel. Now stay quiet. He then added, Anna Bell Lee, you have been charged with fraud. How do you plead? Not guilty said Paris. And, Sheriff, you have brought this case to us. What evidence do you have? I have the confession of her conspirator. No, he doesn't, Paris interrupted. Quiet! This isn't a trial. You will have your chance to speak then, the judge insisted. These charges are baseless. There is no confession. There is no evidence, Paris replied. You're not guilty. I heard you the first time. That's all I need from you. Now, hush! Sheriff, go ahead. I took Thomas's confession myself. The sheriff insisted. I don't have a copy of it. Where is it? The judge asked. I didn't write it down. He promised he would be here to testify on the stand. The sheriff claimed. Paris leaned over to her lawyer and whispered in his ear. The lawyer looked at her, eyes wide, and then back up at the judge. He stood. Your Honor, if I may, this arraignment is to determine whether or not a case has any legitimacy. If so, we would like proof that this confession exists. If that's the only evidence, then we would ask that some form of it be presented. Lewis stuttered nervously and then sat down. I know how the law works, Counselor. I passed my test years ago. But it is a fair point. Sheriff is your witness here. 
the judge asked. No, but I have his word that he'll be at the trial. The sheriff insisted. Lewis stood from his chair and pointed his finger at the sheriff. I object! That is not evidence! Sit down! This isn't a trial. You can't object. Sheriff, do you have anything else? Any other proof? I don't want to sit around here waiting for you to do the detective work you're supposed to have done already. You have to put your case together before you call a trial. Look at her. There is no way that girl could beat a man in a legitimate match. It had to be rigged. What proof do I need? It's obvious, claimed the sheriff. I can prove it wasn't rigged, Paris said. Young lady, if you can clear this up, I'd be happy to hear from you. Tell me how can you prove you're innocent. I object. The burden of proof is not on the defense, it's on the prosecution. It's not our job to disprove her guilt. It's their job to prove it, Lewis argued. Counselor, shut up a moment. And remember, you can't object in an arraignment. And you can't object to your own client. Now sit down and be quiet. Miss Lee, how can you prove the match was legitimate? The judge asked. Because I can beat the sheriff. Sheriff? Is that true? No! Absolutely not. This is another attempt to pull some kind of scam. Friday night, just like Thomas. I'll meet you in the ring and prove to you that not only can I beat Thomas, but I can beat any man you want to bring into that bar. How about it, Sheriff? If you win, I'll plead guilty to the charges. But if I win, you drop it. Sheriff, you have brought the charges against Miss Lee. You have the authority to drop them if you wish. I am postponing this arraignment one week. We will meet back here on the 2nd at 8 a.m., Counselor. Unless, of course, the sheriff here decides to drop the charges. One way or another, Sheriff, get your case together. Do you understand me? Yes, Your Honor. Now... Whether or not the two of you meet up in this ring on Friday night, that's for you two to work out. The court is not concerned. I am releasing Miss Lee. I trust if it is necessary, she will return here on the second. Court is adjourned. The judge hit the gavel on his desk and walked out of the room. Thalia ran forward and hugged Lewis around the neck, kissing him on the cheek. You did it! She cheered. He did it? Paris questioned. Penthesilia stood in the aisle, not allowing the sheriff to pass. Well, Richard, we'll see you Friday night. I'll have the arrangements made. I'm not fighting her. Yes, you will. It's as good as done now. What do you think people are going to say about you if you don't show up? I promise you that the ring will be there. The whiskey girl will be there. It's time to put your ass where your mouth is. The bar opened late. And once it did, it was full. Everybody wanted to know about the fight on Friday. Penthesilia was honest with them. The sheriff has not yet agreed to a fight. But Friday night, the ring would be here. The whiskey girl would be waiting. Inside the kitchen, Paris was removing loaves of bread from the oven as Cassandra sat at the kitchen table. 
She had all of Paris's guns in front of her. There were six of them now, the four that would sit at her hips in her holsters and the two small ones that she slipped into her boots. Cassandra was very carefully cleaning each weapon, then setting them aside when they were done. Thalia sat at the head of the table. She was drinking coffee and picking at a cookie. That was your lawyer? asked Paris. Louis is just the sweetest. Isn't he adorable? Whatever you're paying him, you should get it back. Oh, I do, honey. Believe me, I do. She winked at Paris. I'm sorry I put you through this. I should pay you for your help, Paris said. No, it's okay. I owe you. Let's just call it all even. What do you owe me? Whatever happened in the back room between you and Lady Venus, she came out happier than we'd ever seen her. We've seen her stern and angry and aloof, but we've never really seen her happy before. Thalia dipped her cookie in her mug and then ate the coffee-soaked corner. She stopped for a moment, savoring the treat. When I was younger, I saw Naomi in a store once. At the time, I lived with my parents. They were very poor. I had no shoes, and the dress I was wearing was beginning to fall apart. School was free, but the clothes, the books, the pencils, the chalk were not. So I wasn't allowed to go. The neighbors would help, but my father had his pride, and my mother had her religion, and neither of them would ask. So they got by on what they had, and if I asked for something, the answer was always, no, we can't afford it. Then I saw Naomi. She was glamorous. Her hair pinned up with feathers and lace. Her dress was silk, and it flowed around her. Each panel was made in alternating colors. I saw a glimpse of her boots as she walked. They were white with high heels and spotless. She had a muff and a fan and jewels around her neck. She swept past me like a queen, leaving behind the smell of her perfume. It was that jasmine that she loves. I've never seen anyone so beautiful. I pointed her out to my mother. She spit on the ground and said, that woman is a whore. Stay away from her. I asked, what's a whore? My mother replied, a whore is a hedonistic sinner who is going to hell because she trades her body for money. I stopped asking questions. I knew that if I continued, she'd hit me. So I just watched. From then on, whenever we were in town, I would look for her. One day, I saw her eating in a restaurant with a man. After they left, the waitress pulled me in and sat me down at a table in the corner. They fed me anything I wanted, and I ate until I was stuffed. Afterwards, she told me that Naomi had paid for the meal, and it was all taken care of. She'd seen me. I ran home and cried. I was so embarrassed to have been seen like I was. But what did I expect? That I was invisible? Sometimes it felt like that. Like I was invisible. My father and mother had their work, and they paid little attention to me. No one in town wanted to insult my father's pride, so they ignored me as well. But Naomi had seen me. That night, I just left. I didn't know if they ever noticed. I left and never went back. I sat on the ground in front of the brothel until Lady Venus herself came out. She took my hand and she brought me inside. I was too young to work, she told me. Until I got older, they would let me be their housemaid. 
Naomi and I became friends. So when Naomi wanted to leave, I offered to help. We hatched a plot. We knew what Lady Venus had charged Alexa, so we assumed we would need the same. We pooled our money together. Naomi would go first. Then, because she was keeping all of what she made, she would earn the money for me faster. I loved the brothel, but I loved Naomi more. So if she wanted to leave, I wanted to go with her. That's when a miracle happened. The lady came out of that room beaming with joy. My heart stopped when she told me that I could go with Naomi. I don't know what you did, but I'm sure you had something to do with it. Sleeping with men doesn't bother you? Does sleeping with women bother you? Honestly, I've only ever been with Pollyanna. I never had anyone else. But what I mean is all the different men. And all the time for money. <laughs> it's a job. Like any other job, it has its moments where it gets tiring and obnoxious. Eh, sometimes I hate it. But there are times when it's fun. Like with Lewis. He's funny and we get along. I don't love him, but I don't mind his company. So at times like that, it's easy. Besides, it's not about the money. What is it then? Lady Venus explained it like this. Money is the abstract encapsulation of our time and effort. We work. That work takes time. That time is a section of our lives we give up. We take it and we represent that time and effort with a dollar. Let's say I was a carpenter. If I took a day to carve a statue of a bird and sold that statue for a dollar, that dollar would represent one day of my life plus the value of my skill. When we love somebody, we spend our time on them. It's not the money they spend on us that moves our hearts. It's the gift of themselves. We give ourselves to them because they promise to continue to give themselves to us. Then, when it comes to marriage, it's the final promise. It's an exchange. The rest of my life for the rest of yours. But that time can be represented by money. However much money you make over your entire life. I trade my life one dollar at a time, one hour at a time, one piece at a time. Not to one person, but to anyone willing to pay for it. I have broken it up into one hour segments. No one needs to promise me tomorrow. I'm happy to take from them yesterday, all wrapped up into a dollar. And how much would your life cost if someone were to buy the whole lot? <laughs> everything they will ever make from that point on and every moment they have to spare. Why do you ask? You got a dollar burning a hole in your pocket? Have you had female guests? <laughs> guests! I like that. I don't think anyone's ever called them that before. But yes, there have been women. Not as many, but some. Can you keep a secret? Sure. No, I mean a real secret. You can never tell. Neither you, Cassandra. Thalia pointed at Cassandra, who nodded yes. I've been with Mary. It was about a year ago. She was lonely. She never said who it was she missed, but her sorrow was obvious. She spent some time at the brothel. I imagine that won't be necessary anymore. I'm happy for her. Oh, shit, said Paris. Yeah. Oh, shit, Thalia replied. I'm all done, Cassandra announced. Okay, let's see. Paris stepped over to the table and examined the pistols. They were perfect. 
Cassandra had done a good job. Paris began to put them back into her holsters. Hold on. You're not done. There's one more. From the pantry, Paris pulled a cardboard box. She set it on the table in front of Cassandra. Happy birthday. How did you know it was my birthday? Everyone always forgets. Your mother told me when I asked her permission to give you this. Go ahead, open it. Paris instructed. Inside was a brand new Colt Lightning. It looked a lot like the single-action army pistol, only it was smaller. The metal was a gray-blue, and the barrel was shorter. For me? asked Cassandra. Of course you. This one is a Colt double-action, but if you have the time, I would still cock the hammer myself if I were you. This gun is a little more delicate than mine. You will have to take very good care of it, or it will jam on you. It's good for target practice, but it has no ejector pin, so it's a little difficult to reload. It'll do for now, and in an emergency, it's better to have it than not to, but later, we'll get you something more reliable. Thank you, Cassandra said as she hopped up to hug Paris around the neck. Can we go try it out? She asked. Yeah, I already told Celia we'd be out. All the food is ready, and your mom has agreed to just come in and get it when it's ordered, so they can spare us for an hour. Get your coat, Paris instructed. Can I come? Thalia asked. Sure. You want to shoot too? Asked Paris. No, no, no. I I just want to watch. I don't need to shoot people. (laughs) My weapons are far more subtle. Thalia winked. Philocedes sat across the desk from the sheriff. He had a reputation as a gunslinger and a mercenary. It was said that if you had enough money, you could hire him to kill anyone. He bragged many times that he had killed the Reaper himself. And when he drew a man down, it was with the Reaper's gun. What do you want now? asked Philocedes. I got a job for you. A job? You're not going to try and arrest me again. I thought I was persona non grata in this little sleepy hollow of yours. But that never stopped you from coming back every year. I like to spend Christmas with my sister. You want to try and stop me? I'll take you out into the street and we'll settle this like men. Not me. I don't want you to fight me. I want to hire you to take care of a little problem I have. How little? Smaller than you'd expect. I want you to kill the Whiskey Girl. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at Helen of the Iron Horse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you.